Well, hey, Forefront, if you have your Bibles, let's grab those and we'll open up to the book of Ephesians, be in the Ephesians chapter 5 for most of our time this morning. If you had to identify one thing that was maybe the, the, the most uh, impactful thing to maybe impact your life negatively, what would it be? If you could identify maybe one thing as the biggest threat to your spiritual life, what, what would you say? But what is that driving force that's maybe behind the fact that you aren't quite who you know God's created you to be yet? That driving force that's behind this feeling that you just maybe are, are stalled or, or aren't growing in your faith like, like you want to. What is that thing for you? Dallas Willard, he's a, he's a um, uh, professor and, and author, and he, he says that that thing for us is hurry. Willard says that hurry is the, the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Now, I don't know about you guys, how many of you would pick hurry? I don't think I would have. You know, you think about living in Denver, we li- you know, living on, on the front range, and we let people talk about the fact that, you know, depending upon the statistics you look at, nine out of 10 people are unchurched in our part of the world, and there's just, it seems to be this kind of spiritual fog, this spiritual darkness in our area. And if you ask me what is the greatest threat to spiritual life, I probably wouldn't have picked hurry. I might say it's culture. Or I might say it's the fact that we've got the mountains as the playground in our backyard. We've got this great, easy distraction for us to live into. I don't know that I would have picked hurry. But if you think about it, I think Willard is on to something. Because if you think about our lives, and you think about the tension we feel every day, how much of that is the result of hurry, of being too busy? Rosemary Sword, she's a time perspective Therapist. That sounds like a pretty good job, right? Time perspective therapist. That seems like kind of a fun one. So she came up with um, the three symptoms to diagnose if we struggle with hurry. hurry. So I want you to do a quick self-diagnosis here. Three symptoms. First one is this. You move from one checkout line to another because it's shorter. Anybody do that? Anybody guilty? I'm guilty as far as I'm How about this one? When you get to a stoplight, you count the number of cars ahead of you, the cars ahead of you. Anybody do that? You're like, okay, there's three, line, three in this lane, four in this lane, I'm going to the right. And then you switch back and forth, right, as you go. Third one is that you multitask to the point where you forget one of the tasks. Has that happened to anybody this week? I think we all can say that we've done that. We're all guilty as charged. Our culture just seems to be in such a hurry to the point where psychologists have actually coined the term hurry sickness. You guys heard this before? Hurry sickness. It's actually a a diagnosis. See, hurry sickness is this. Let me give you the definition. It's a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and gets flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Anybody been there? Get interrupted. You you, you don't get the green light that you thought you were going to get. You get a little frustrated. You get a little flustered. We might be struggling with hurry sickness. Ruth Haley Barton, she's a, a psychologist and author, and she has a ministry that um, really helps those that are walking through seasons of exhaustion and burnout. And so she came up with 10 signs that you are struggling with hurry sickness. And so, again, we're going to keep score here real quick, okay? These are the 10 signs that might demonstrate that you are struggling with hurry sickness. The first one is irritability, that you're quick to get grumpy. You're quick to get angry, maybe quick to snap back at somebody. Second one is hypersensitivity. 
means we get defensive easy. Somebody says something, and automatically I'm, I'm taking it to heart. I'm getting defensive. Third, restlessness. So it's this idea that you, you get some downtime, but you can't sleep or you can't rest. So what do you do? You pull out your phone. You turn on some music. You, you can't sit in the quiet. Fourth, compulsive overworking. It's where you can't stop responding to that last email. You just got one more message to send. You just got one more project you need to finish. Next, escapist behaviors. So this is when you get some downtime or you had a busy day, but you instead of, of having some rest, you, you escape and binge watch season three of Cobra Kai. Or you shop on Amazon all night, right? Or you, you do whatever that thing is for you that takes your mind off of the, the pain and the difficulty and the struggle. Next, disconnected from identity and calling. This is when you forget who you are, you forget who God has called you to be, and you forget what you're not. Next, hoarding energy. Anybody ever hoarded energy? You know somebody at work is just going to drain you so you avoid them, right? You've got that family member that you, you spend time around, but you know you just don't have energy to deal with it right now. And if you say that there's nobody in your family like that, then there might be the chance that that's you, right? That you're that person. You're hoarding energy, right? I just don't want to deal with it right now. I think we've all been there. How about this one? Not able to attend to physical needs. You're not sleeping, you're not exercising, you're not drinking water. You just aren't able to take care of yourself. You're going the other direction. And lastly, slippage in our spiritual practice. That's time we should dedicate and allocate to God to, to grow and for God to help us to become the people we're created to be. But instead, our to-do list grows, and then our God time shrinks. It's going in the opposite direction. So how many of those are you? How many of those check the box for you? I, you know, I looked at this list, and I immediately thought, like, I could see myself in six, maybe seven. But I just knew Courtney would be like, what are you, who are you joking? You're all ten of those sometimes. I think we all are all ten sometimes, aren't we? This hurry sickness is just this overcoming our life and, and our culture. We all struggle from it. And I wonder, is the reason that our world is increasingly seeing anxiety and depression and isolation and chronic fatigue and exhaustion and burnout, is it because we all struggle from hurry sickness? That we're all just so busy, we can't slow down? Is the reason that we don't slow down to read our Bibles anymore? We don't ever have time to pray that I don't really have time to engage in Christian community, is that reason behind that? Not just that I don't have enough time, but that I am in too much of a hurry. I think it is. And the ongoing effects of this are both emotional and spiritual. Spiritually draining and emotional draining. I've got a, I've got a challenge for you this week. This week, go out and go back to the workplace, go to school, wherever you are, and, and, and take note. Start asking people, how are you? And notice what they say. When you ask somebody, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Notice how many people say good, but what? Busy. I'm good. Things are great. I'm just busy. You probably say it. I know I do. It's that idea that it doesn't matter. Single, people are busy. People with kids are busy. Empty nesters are busy. And retirees, retirees, let me know, you're busier now than you were when you were working, aren't you? We just get busy, and busy leads to what? Hurry. Busy leads to hurry. Now, now, being busy is not a bad thing. I'm not telling you that it's not good to have your calendar full of things, right? Jesus was busy. Look at the life of Jesus. He was busy. Jesus didn't have most days at the spa. Jesus was out 
He was out healing and teaching and pointing people to God, but there's a difference between being busy and being too busy. So the problem is when you're too busy, you find that you are trying to fit it all in. So you speed up everything you do to try to fit it into your day. And this is what Ron Rollheiser calls pathological busyness, that we are always in a hurry. We are always speeding up. We are always going too fast, and it leads us down a dangerous place because we are in this frantic pace, and it has implications on our health and on our relationships and on our spiritual life. Notice what Ron, Ron Rollheiser has to say about this. It's a long quote, but it's worth it. He says this. He says, we, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Ouch. He says, pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major roadblocks within our spiritual lives today. So our spiritual lives, how we connect with God, how we receive the love of God, how we show the love of God from us to other people, Rollheiser is saying that because we are so distracted and so busy, it's impacting the way that we even respond to God and the way that we respond to other people. And you can look around our culture. We live in an outraged culture, don't we? We live in a culture where everybody's got to have something to get mad about. Could it be that we're just in too big of a rush and too busy all the time and too much of a hurry to actually hear what somebody has to say, to understand, to slow down, to listen and show compassion? So I think what we see here is that hurry is incompatible with love. And God calls us to be people of love. So here's the question. What do we do? We find ourselves stepping into 2020 and this 2021 and this new year, stepped out of a crazy year in 2020, and now we have these goals and, and these hopes and all these dreams for 2021. But how do we turn 2021 to be a year where we can be the people that God created us to be and not be so tied up and busy and rushing all the time that we miss it? Again, how do we hit reset on our time? In John 10, 10, Jesus says he came to bring us the abundant life. He says, I came to bring you life and life abundantly. This is the life that Jesus gives us to live. This is the life that we live in, the kingdom of God. But the problem is, if we're too busy being anxious and distracted, if we're too busy being restless and emotionally numb, then how can we live the abundant life? How can we be these types of people? So I think we need to learn how to hit reset on our time if we're going to become the people who live the abundant life. Dallas Willard says that hurry is the biggest enemy to spiritual life. So Willard's, Willard's conclusion was we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Well, how do we do it? By hitting reset. And so I want us to see what Paul has to say about this in Ephesians chapter 5, because he gives us this really good glimpse at how we can hit reset on our time. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab those. Ephesians chapter 5, just three verses this morning, verses 15 16 and 17. Let's read together. Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So here's the question we have to grapple with today. How do we move from a place of pathological busyness, hurry sickness, to a place of reset? And I don't know about you, but I'm just going to give you a hint that it's not more time. See, my MO typically is when I feel like I'm in a rush or in a hurry, I just wish I had more time. I just wish that I had more time to do all those things I need to get done. Anybody else been there? Man, if I just had more time, I'd join CrossFit. If I just had more time, I'd, I'd, I'd prepare meals better. If I just had more time, I'd read more books. If I just had more time, I'd call my mom more often. I'd hang out with friends more often, but I just don't have enough time. Man, if doctors could just create a pill where I only had to sleep four hours a night. Man, just think of all the extra time I'd have. But let's be real. What would you do with that extra time? You'd fill it up with more stuff, right? More Facebook, more football, right? More distraction, more shows. That's just what we do. We, we fill up our time. So more time isn't the answer. The answer is actually hitting reset on our time. John Mark Comer, pastor in Portland, he says this. He says that our time is our life and our attention is the doorway to our hearts. Do you hear that? So your attention is the doorway to your heart. So what you give attention to is what you're letting into your heart. And your time is your life. And so if you give your time to the wrong things, if you give your time to distraction and you drift off into spiritual oblivion, how can you be the person God created you to be? So something has to change and we have to hit reset. And that's what Paul's talking about right here in Ephesians chapter 5. Notice what he says here. It, it, it seems pretty simple at first glance. Look back at verse 15 and 16. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so Paul, I mean, it's pretty simple. He's saying, look, pay attention. Pay attention to how you spend your time and use your time well. It sort of sounds like Paul's telling us to be more efficient, doesn't it? Like, just be more efficient. I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but this, that's where I often land. I don't have enough time to get all done that I need to get done, so I just need to become more efficient, right? I just need to, to fit time into the window that I have. But what happens when we do that? You guys know. You end up leaving late to get to meetings, leaving late to get to work, leaving late to get the kids to gymnastics. You end up taking lunch to check email, or you're sending that message while you're standing in line for coffee, and you're trying to fit everything in, but you have no downtime to rest. And the result of trying to be more efficient is what? Hurry. More hurry. See, I don't think Paul's talking about being efficient. Verse 15 and 16 aren't Paul's call to efficiency. It's something different. Paul is calling us to do something different. Paul is, is telling us that we need to use our time well. It's, this isn't a motivational poster that's going to be on the, in the lobby or the break room of some New York stock exchange. Paul is telling us that we need to actually do something different. Instead of being more efficient, we need to start using our time well. So what Paul says first is we need to reset our time by paying attention to how we spend our time. When was the last time you did that? When is the last time you paid attention to how you spend your time? When was the last time you did a time inventory? If you've got a smartphone, it's pretty easy to do. At least you can tell your distractions. If you've got an iPhone or an Android, you can look up your screen time. Has anybody done that recently? I did it this week, and let me tell you, it's scary. Prepare yourself for when you do it. Because you realize, oh my gosh, I wasted so much time. I shouldn't have given my phone to my kids to watch YouTube. Or maybe it was me watching YouTube. But either way, I should, I should have put my phone down. 
Like our time drifts so quickly. You look in your three, four, five, six hours on your phone a day and you're thinking, how did that even happen? I didn't even feel like I looked at my phone. But there was a study recently done that said for iPhone users, you Android users, you guys might be a little better at this than we are. But for iPhone users, we touch our phone 2,617 times a day. That's a ton. That's a, so much. We just, it, it just sits right here. You guys know how it is. You're sitting right here. Nobody's calling. Nobody's texting. What do you do? Grab it. Oh, nobody called. Right? Oh, I better make sure nobody called. Right? Let me double check nobody text. Right? That's what we do. We touch it so much. It's such a distraction. It's just right there. And so we end up wasting so much time. So we think, man, if I only had time, then I could get healthy and talk to my friends and spend more time talking to my grandma. And the reality is we have time. We just don't use our time well. Somebody once said that it's not that you don't have the time, it's that you don't make the time. And see, that was a gut punch for me, is that we don't make the time. We got plenty of time to do everything we want to do. We just don't make the time. And I think that's what God's telling us over and over again in his word. Look at Psalm 90, verse 12. Notice what he says. David writes this. God says to David, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Notice there's a correlation between time and wisdom. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, right? There's this wisdom that comes with managing our time, with paying attention to our time. And that if we aren't paying attention to our time, then we are going to be walking in foolishness, as Paul says it here. So Paul says we need to reset our time. But notice also Paul says this in verse 16, that we have to start using our time well. Look back. Paul says that we need to look carefully how you walk, right? Look carefully how you live. Look carefully how you spend your time, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, this, this word for you Greek geeks out there, this word making the best use is one word. It's the Greek word exacto roxo, and it means to buy out or to purchase. It doesn't mean efficient. It means to buy up or to buy out, to redeem. Some of your translations may even say redeem. You guys know I love to grill, and I love to, I love to go down to the local meat shop and, and pick up some good stuff. There's one on Jewel and Wadsworth. I'm going to give a, a shameless plug to Gourmet Meat Shop. If you guys haven't been there, it's amazing. And I'll go in there some days, and I'm going to have some friends over, and we're going to cook some steaks, or we're going to, I'm, going to cook, I'm going to smoke some ribs. And I go in, and I see that there's just a few rib I left. What am I going to do? I'm buying them all, right? I'm buying them all back. They're all coming home with me. That's the idea. You know, back in March when you couldn't find toilet paper, this guy, he exactoroxoed all the toilet paper, right? He bought it all up. Paul says we need to take back our time. We need to buy it all back. But why, Paul? Why can't I just let time flow? Paul says this. Look, verse 16, the very end, he says, because the days are what? Evil. Now, that's a weird phrase, right? Because the days are evil, like time itself is evil. But I think what Paul is saying is that Mick Jagger and the Stones got it wrong. Time is not on our side. That our days, they fly by. What's the old saying as a parent, right? The days are long, but the years are short, right? And so this idea that the days are evil, Paul's just saying that, man, time is, is, is easily distracted and so easily taken away, and we so easily lose our time, we so easily misplace our time, we so easily have our time taken from us. So make good use of it, because if you don't, you're going to lose it. Corey Tinbaum, if, if you know who she is, she uh, was a Dutch woman, and um, she, she and her family rescued a lot of Jews from the attack of the Nazis in World War II. She saved so many lives. And she says this. 
She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Think about that for a second. Think of the correlation between hurry and sin. They have a similar effect on your soul. Think about this. What is sin? Sin's missing the mark, right? What's the mark? Our connection with God. The mark is our connection, our communication, our relationship with God. And so hurry and sin do the same thing because they block our connection and communication and relationship with God. Carl Jung, he's a psychologist. He says that hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Ouch. Hurry is the devil itself. See, what happens when you're in a hurry? You guys know this. When you're in a hurry, you lose the capacity to love and you lose the capacity to show compassion. C.S. Lewis says that the way we respond when we are interrupted is an indication of our true self. Ouch, right? If you're a parent in this room, that's a gut punch. Because what is half of parenting? Dealing with interruption, right? Dealing with people coming and jumping in when you've got something else to do. And if we're all in a hurry, then how much time are we spending dealing with interruption? A lot. A lot of it. See, what happens when you get interrupted and you're in a hurry? You usually don't respond with love and compassion, do you? We usually respond with anxiety at best and anger often at worst. I think of my kids. I love my kids. You guys know my kids. I think of trying to get my kids out of the house. Courtney does a pretty good job. She's usually the one dragging me out of the house, but getting the kids out of the house, especially if we're going on a long trip and we got to get stuff in the car. It's like pulling them, right? Grabbing them. They get so easily distracted. And what is our response? It's usually not love and compassion. It's anxiety and frustration and busting at the seams. That's what hurry does, especially when it's dealing with interruptions. See, hurry sabotages our ability to love. And it's no surprise that in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul starts off his chapter talking about love by saying love is what? Patient. What's another way to say patient? Not in a hurry. Love is not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. So Paul is saying that if we're going to stop hurrying, if we're going to hit reset in our time, then we need to pay attention to how we use our time, and we need to start making the best use of our time, and we need to start taking it back, because that's what Jesus did. Have you ever noticed, in the life of Jesus, he was never in a hurry, but he was always busy. Jesus always had somewhere to be. He always had a crowd following him. He always had somebody interrupting him, but yet he was never in a hurry. I mean, you think about the teachings of Jesus. Probably half of them involve some kind of interruption, right? Jesus is, is walking um, through the crowd. He's going to go heal. Um, he's going to go heal the centurion's um, or the Jairus' son, and he, he feels the, the woman tug at the back of his cloak. What does he do? He doesn't say, hey, 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 I'm in a hurry. He stops. And he's present, right? See, Jesus, every time he gets interrupted, he's there. He's present. In the midst of the chaos, he was there to share a word, to teach, to show love, to show compassion. That's what Jesus did. He was busy, but he was never in a hurry. There's this pattern in Jesus' life, and you see it in the book of Mark really well. There's this pattern in Jesus' life that Jesus always responded to a busy day by going to the quiet place. We would see over 18 times in the book of Mark, 18, that Mark said that Jesus either had a busy day or is getting ready to have a busy day, and he goes to the quiet place, a place where he can pray, a place where he can talk to God, a place where he can get his thoughts, a place where he can get some silence, 
and some solitude. We see this rhythm in his life, and as busy as he was, he was never in a hurry. See, the problem for you and I, though, at least for me, is that my rhythm in my life is that when I get busy, I respond not with the quiet place, but I respond with the distraction. So I have a busy day at work, or I'm stressed, or something's going on, and I come home, and I look at the news, and the world's going all over the place, and things are not pretty, and what do I do? Instead of going to God and getting quiet, I fall into the black hole of Netflix, right? Or I get on Amazon and fill up my cart with stuff I'm not going to buy anyways, right? I'm wasting my time. I respond with these escapist-type behaviors. I fill up my lunch with watching a show, or I fill up a, a break with, with, you know, playing on social media, and then what happens? You realize that you're late, or that you have to get back on that project, and now you're irritated because you didn't recharge. See, hurry sabotages love and compassion, and it leads us to a place that none of us want to be. So we have to find a way to hit reset. And this is what Paul is telling us right now, is we need to start to pay attention, and we need to start to take our time back. A couple weeks ago, a good buddy of mine, uh, his name's Chuck, and um, Chuck sends me a text. He says, man, there's this new book out. You have to buy it. It's a life changer. And I said, Chuck, I don't have time, right? I got too many other books to read. I don't have time. He says, it's going to be worth it. It's a life changer. So I bought it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I cannot recommend this book enough. This book has revolutionized the way that I see time. Pick it up. It's, it's, it's going to be worth it. You can pick it up on Audible, listen to it if you would prefer to go that route. But what John Mark talks about in the book is the fact that we have to adopt what Richard Foster calls the spiritual discipline of slowing that we have to find a way to slow down, that we are running at this frantic pace, we are running too fast, we have to slow down, otherwise we're going to be in a hurry and our spiritual lives are going to continue to drift and continue to wane. And so he talks about in this book about this idea of how hurry impacts us so negatively. And what he talks, one of the things that really stood out to me is he refers to something called a rule of life. Now, I say a rule of not life, not rules for life, but singular, a rule of life. And it's the idea that took heart in the second century, but really took form in the sixth century in monasteries. And it was the idea that you developed a practice to make sure that you had time with God. And so here's what John Mark Comer has to say about a rule of life. He says this, a rule of life was a schedule and a set of practices to order your life around the way of Jesus and community. It was a way to keep from getting sucked into hurry, busyness, noise, and distraction of regular life, a way to slow down, a way to live into what really matters, what Jesus calls abiding, key relationships with family and community, the work God has set before us, a healthy soul, you know, the good stuff, the stuff that we all want. But to live that life, to live this abundant life Jesus calls us to live, we have to have something that can hold us up. See, a rule of life the, the word actually get, can be translated as ruler or trellis. You guys know what a trellis is? A trellis is what grapes grow on. So you go out to a winery or you go out to um, a, a, a grape, some, somewhere where grapes are going to grow, they're going to grow on a trellis. If grapes grow on the ground, they're going to get eaten by animals, they're going to deteriorate, they're, gonna, they're not going to grow well. But if you lift the grapes up to where the branches and the vine has somewhere to grow, they can grow into beautiful Grapes, tasty grapes, delicious wine, delicious 
Welch's grape juice, right? A few weeks ago in our Home for Christmas series, we saw in John 15 that Jesus tells us that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And that if we abide in him, if we make our home in him, if we live in him and he lives in us, then our lives will bear fruit. The problem a lot of us is we don't have anything underneath us holding us up. We're not spending our time with God. We're not slowing down. We're speeding up and trying to become more efficient. And we're like a grapevine laying on the ground. There's no way we're going to produce fruit. And there's no way we're going to be able to become the people we need to be. We need something underneath us, propping us up, a trellis, so that we can see God move in our life, so that we can live in and make our home in and abide in Jesus. And Jesus will flow life through us, and we will see that abundant life is ours. So we have to set aside the time to hit reset. So here's my challenge for us, Forefront. Here's my challenge for us, is we need to first, this week, start paying attention to how we're using our time. Whether you're looking at the screen time on your phone, or you're actually keeping a log for how you're spending your time, I want you to pay attention to see how much time are we wasting on things that aren't important, or that don't impact us with a spiritual significance. And then I also want us to look and see How do we start taking our time back? Maybe for you to take time back means you need to walk outside and get in your car and immediately cancel eight appointments this week, right? You need to to undownload Netflix on your phone. You need to do something just to be intentional and say, no, I'm taking my time back. Change your rhythm. Change the way you do. And make a plan for a rule of life. And it might be as simple as saying, I'm going to take five and 10 minutes a day, first thing in the morning or after the kids go to bed at night or what works best for you. Maybe it's lunch. And that five and 10 minutes, I'm just going to get quiet. And I'm going to sit with God in silence and in solitude. And sometimes I'm going to read my Bible. And other times I'm going to pray. And sometimes I'm just going to look out the window with a cup of coffee. But I'm going to shut the noise off around me so I can listen for what God has to say for me. See, I believe something beautiful happens when we slow down, when we allow God to speak into our life, when we limit that distraction, and we ask God to show us how to become the people he has called us to be. Guys, as we launch into this 21 days of prayer starting today over the next three weeks, what an opportunity we have as a church to just say, look, I'm going I'm to carve out some time to pray every morning. And whether it's at the park down the street, it's at the kitchen table, it's a quiet place at your office, I'm gonna give some time back to God because something happens that's amazing when you take your time back and give it to God. Because as you give your time to God, God does something special to redeem your time so you can make the best use of your time. For friend, I'm excited to see how God can use us over these next three weeks as we begin to take our time back to pay closer attention and to give it to him. Because it's then that Jesus says we walk in wisdom. Let's pray together.